You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. I'm thinking about what it would be like if we actually changed our systems so that they serve us in our human lifespans as an ultimate good, as opposed to constantly trying to fit ourselves into a system that is really all about resource management. Change is a word that's used way too often, thrown around, and it's not really clarified nearly enough. And it's also not nearly as negative as it just might sound sometimes. So let's talk about what it can mean to you, how it can impact the work that you do, and how it can be a part of evolving and growing for the better of all of us. Today, here on Pause on the Play, where it's amazing to see you as we challenge you to reconsider your normal and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here to get the dialogue going. I think it's so funny. The term positive organizational psychology sounds kind of like, um, positive organization. That I don't know that I think that goes together. <laughs> I think, especially right now with the current climate, um, for employees and organizations and companies, it doesn't feel like it goes together. But the reality is, is that it is possible. And we have an opportunity to figure out how it can be done differently. And so I have Kim Perkins with me today, and I am so excited to talk about positive psychology, how it shows up in the work that she does, and just really getting into some of the nitty gritty of change. And I would be remiss to not also tell you that if you love this episode, Kim is amazing. So India also interviewed Kim over on Flaunt Your Fire podcast, and they're talking about healthy versus unhealthy competition and kind of the meta gaming that can happen as it's a it's a fuel that you can use to create joy within your brand and your work culture. I'm like, you need to listen to it. Trust me. So you'll be able to get some Kim over there at Flaunt Your Fire with India. And today we'll get some Kim with me over here. Pause on the play. So let's get into it. So I'm extremely excited to have my guest with me today because the reality is, is that anytime I get to talk with a black or brown person and we are talking about things like psychology, I always am like, ooh, I got more questions than this podcast is going to allow. However, let's do this. And so as we dig into positive psychology today, I'm extremely excited to introduce you to Kim Perkins. 
Kim holds a PhD in positive organizational psychology. She is a former journalist and pro athlete. And Kim has worked with leaders at cutting edge tech and entertainment companies. Her first book, Winner Take None, is all about the role competition plays in our lives. And it will be out in December of 2021. Welcome, welcome, Kim. I'm so glad to have you here. Oh, I'm so glad to be talking to you for the same reasons. I am so excited. I'm like, everything that like is is your thing that you talk about, I'm like, ooh, it's a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm like, yes, please and thank you. Let's do this. So Yay. as we go, I know, right? I'm like, yes, I, good conversation. I'm here for it. So as we get started, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about who Kim is, not just the bio, not just what you do, but who are you as a human? It's such a great question and so hard to answer, right? For yourself. Sometimes it seems like other people see us better than we we do on our own. But, you know, I've been, um, I'm a person with many different interests and phases in my life. I'm like a lot of people who consult, I've been through a lot of different phases. So I've always, but what's remained is I've always been a writer. I've always been an idea person. And I've always been really interested in getting below the surface level. And so part of what has, has driven me in my life and continues to drive my work is just a feeling that we have to go deeper in order to solve some of the issues before us now. And that just sort of going with the standard answers and the standard way of looking at things is not going to be enough. And so for my work as, as, as a writer and, you know, as a psychologist, that that's pretty much what's top of mind for me these days, you know? Now, that being said, I think that anyone that does, um, anything within the space of psychology, like you're always going to have your way of doing things. So I'd love for you to share how it is that you define what positive psychology, uh, what does it mean to you? So, you know, positive psychology is a study of optimum experience. So we're thinking about what good is for human experience and what, what we want to have more of and how we can optimize it. And that is, um, something that a lot, you know, has a lot of applicability because every people, you know, people want to buy that. People want to know what that is. And that, but at the same time, there's, uh, it's a really difficult thing to say that this is what good is for all of humanity based on just our little sliver of Western um, respondents to psychology. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think what you said is, is important because I think it's, it's what we think something is and it's what it actually is. And it's being able to figure out where that space is kind of in the middle where it's like, well, you're not wrong to think that, but let me give you some additional context to go along with it. Yeah, exactly. It's also the thing that, what do do you want? Like you said, if they don't want to buy it, if they're not interested, they don't want to learn it. It's like, well, this isn't going to work very well. (laughs) It's true. And so like, for example, in in positive psychology, and this is both to me, the promise and the frustrating thing about positive psychology is though a lot of people know about gratitude and maybe keeping a gratitude journal or having a gratitude practice. Sometimes you say, before you go to bed, you'll say a couple of things of like that you're grateful for during the day and that this has been shown to help you feel better in general, have more uh, connection in your life. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, there's kind of a, a paradoxical finding that shows that if you do this too much, then you can start to think that all of your, anything good in your life is 
as a result of other people's largesse or a happenstance and start to feel kind of less agency over your life. And that's can can play into people's feelings of helplessness and depression. And I would not have even thought of that, but I think yeah. that, yeah, that's, a, that's a, I mean, and I think it's important to kind of consider that sometimes it's not about this is the one thing and I found that it works and I'm going to do it forever. Sometimes it's yes. like, this is great. I'm going to use this while I need it. And I'll put this in my toolbox for later if this isn't what is of the greatest level of service to me at this moment. I think that is a really good way of putting it. Um, I think it, it's all, you know, there's, there's a curve where a little is good and too much is too much for, for all good things. Absolutely. I agree. And all that being said, of course, that's going to take me to a place where all <laughs> great things happen. Organizations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really fun. Oh, my goodness. It is so funny because people often say to me, positive organizational psychologist, is that not an oxymoron? How can this happen? <laughs> right. <laughs> and and that's actually why I'm so curious. Like, what inspired you to move into that space? Because when I think about positive organizational psychology, I think they could benefit from this. This is great. And at the same time, like, who is doing this? Now, people will say that about what I do. However, for once I'm on the other side, I'm like, what inspired you to choose to go into that particular part of positive psychology? You know, that's a great question. And it's like all things you get really deeply into. You can, you have, it depends on the day, you know, what you're going to say about that. Um, I think for me, my, my father, who's black, was an entrepreneur and he had, he had a really rough time of it. And um, he, in learning about business, I learned so much about how much of what he felt was really coming from a very defensive place where he had to constantly have his elbows out in order to operate in the areas he was doing. He was, he was in advertising in Cleveland and he ran a, um, he was an ad exec in like the sixties and then ran his own business for um, after that. And I always was personally trying to figure out how much of this was his personality and how much of this was indeed the way businesses run. And I think that that kind of led me personally to having a deep interest in can business be positive? Is it just something that we have to put up with? You know, where I, where I grew up in the Midwest, people generally did not love their jobs. There wasn't a lot of... Um, choice and and passion about it people kind of put in their time and and left and that was the culture and you know is this is this what we're are we doomed to just kind of fit into these systems or is there a way that we can bring more of ourselves and more passion and more of the the changes that we want to see in the world and the way we want to live into it so i think that's really what has been driving me very deeply into this and i was part of the first cohort of positive organizational psychologists trained in Claremont. So I love that. And I love that you mentioned a word that is very necessary, very needed, and unfortunately way overused, which is change. And I think with what you do, change is so necessary, but it's also being able to really get people to reconsider what change, you know, you know, what they think it means, what it can mean, and not just going with the 
kind of watered down, oh, this is what this means. And it's almost just kind of robotically repetitive of how we spew this word and, you know, what we're supposed to do with it. And so I'm curious to hear from you, being that, you know, change often shows up as a basis for your work. What does change mean to you? Oh, I love this question so much. You know, whether I'm coaching executives or whether I'm working with a team on their culture or an organization, that pretty much what everybody wants is change. And I and I so I feel two ways about it. I mean, on one hand, yes, there is so much out there that needs to get changed. And often, you know, on the organizational level, I get brought in at times when, for example, a startup has been working really hard to get to product market fit. And now their culture is broken and they're hoping that somebody can make everything better. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and that's a change that they want. Or, you know, individual for executives when people are either want to level up and go move to a different position or they are feeling disenchanted with what they're doing. That So often it, it is that desire for change that prompts people. And I love that you notice that it changes kind of overused because I absolutely agree with that. I think that in a, you know an American way of looking at things is that change is almost like a, a holy good. You know, you're supposed to always be growing and always be changing and always be mm-hmm. doing more, more, more. And I think that it's it a lot of times what I'm asking people to do in coaching is to actually do less, to actually mm-hmm. chill out for a minute. Sometimes take five minutes to lie down under a tree and look at that tree. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and it's funny, but you can if you do that over a period of months, sometimes I've I've watched dramatic changes in people's happiness and groundedness and therefore also sometimes their executive presence just from doing that, which I think is is, you know, so it's kind of a make under, you could say. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I uh, 150% agree because I think sometimes people are so focused on change and I think that they're so so wrapped up in this idea that change is about going forward in a way of like, I am not going to be something anymore or I need to become more of something. Yes. And sometimes there's this place of like, can we reconnect with the things that we've forgotten about, that we've left behind? And it does go into these things that sometimes almost feel very childlike, like lay under the tree, which for some people, they're like, so you want me yep. to lay in the dirt? You want me to do what? And we can tell ourselves <laughs> like, we're too grown for this. We don't do these things. And it is necessary sometimes to reconnect with that. And like when we had... um Jeff Harry on, you know, who yes, I love him. introduced us to you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like he, he knew who we needed to talk to, which was you. And just <laughs> this, like, you know, this moment of like, you know, reconnecting with play, reconnecting with these almost yeah. childlike, simplistic, you know, almost all like things that help us to look at ourselves and the world around us and the people that are around us differently. And that type of, of pause and, you know, what some might consider regression, I think it's a reconnection. I think it's so necessary. And you're so helping necessary. people like, please do this. Please do this thing. <laughs> it's so necessary now because people, um, our society is set up in a way that we're focused on moving up. And this is really abnormal in the world, abnormal in the history of humankind. 
there's always been the we we've kind of in America we like to forget about the force of just existing is beauty unto itself without constantly trying to change the way we are appearing or how much money we make or uh you know relationships or whatever else to just be in the place you are is it, it feels like a luxury at this point, but it's also, I think, the old part of the only way we're ever going to start reconnecting and coming together and making systems that serve us rather than us constantly serving these systems of exchanging resources. Well, and you said something there that stood out to me, and it's just like when people are, um, you know, from a an American, you know, mindset, it is this this constant change, change, change. You know, what is it like if you're not changing, you're not growing, you're dying type of rhetoric. And the interesting thing that I think comes up for me is that so often we talk about change, but there's not enough consideration about the changes that need to happen that are good for everyone. And that's not always the same as just, I have to change in my corporate environment. It's like, wait, 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 are we talking about the same type of change here? Because I don't think we are. And that's where we need to pause for a second. Yes, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. The, 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 what I'm starting to put together for my, my next book is I'm thinking about what it would be like if we actually changed our systems so that they serve us in our human lifespans as an ultimate good, as opposed to constantly trying to fit ourselves into a system that is really all about resource management. Can you please go tell everybody that now, please? Like, I need people to understand that right now because that was such a succinct way of summing because it's true. So often people are trying to force this square peg in a round hole and it's like, but that it doesn't work. So why are we trying to force ourselves into something that actually doesn't even work for everyone, let alone optimally, even for those that yeah, it does. It doesn't work for anyone, everyone. And even, you know, when I, I coach a lot of people who are in those really super highly desirable tech positions where they make a lot of money and they get a lot of respect. And even they're, even in companies where there's at least lift service to, no, no, at six o'clock, we want you to go home, you know, or, or get off the computer. Right. But, you know, and, and they're, there's, I just want to say those are not ideal. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and that is the thing. People are so focused on what it looks like on the outside. It's like, no, um, this is a train wreck on the inside. If we're honest. About it, it is. I, I call it heaven slave labor camp, you know? Ah, yeah. You have, yeah. you have everything that you need there. You've, you know, I've been to those, some of those places in in the valley in San Francisco where you are, uh, you know, there's, there's kombucha on tap every three feet and you, you have no time to do anything except this job ever. Right. Well, and that makes me think about the fact that again, you know, change gives us an opportunity to gain collectively, like as a whole within humanity, we can all benefit from change that is created from a place of of equitable practices for all. But yet somehow, I wonder if, you know, when you go in, you're finding that people are so focused on like, well, you're here. So what am I going to lose? And it's like, who said that you had to lose? I'm wondering, you know, why is it that loss is so much more of the focus versus, you know, 
change that is is necessary and and helpful, you know, it can really provide gain. But instead, people are focusing on what am I going to lose? I love that you asked that because that's actually, I think, one of the biggest points to think about when we're trying to make change, whether that's in organizations or in society more general, which is that, you know, you've heard of cognitive biases that people have in terms of we um, we think that we're making a rational decision, but it's actually really emotionally motivated and we can't see it. And mm. loss aversion is pretty much the number one cognitive bias, which is that and there's been study after study showing that if, if people have the opportunity to gain a, like to gain a hundred, but the probability of possibly losing five, they'll get so focused on the losing five that they will completely skip the possibility of lose, of gaining a hundred. And, and this is, this is unfortunately a bit of the human wiring of the moment, shall we say. Um, and it's what it means is that you often have to really just deal with the loss that any change is going to potentially incur first and kind of think that through and go through even some grieving and some memorializing for that. I mean, this is where I love Marie Kondo, right? Who tells you to say goodbye to the thing that you're throwing out and thank it for its service. And that sounds dumb, right? But at the same time, this is what we have to do in order to make change. And so, so on the you know corporate level, I've worked with several companies where they wanted to, they had a very high, hierarchical system and they knew that they needed to listen to the young folks more because they, that's, you know, there were a lot of really good and fresh ideas coming up there, but they had a lot of um, legacy habits in place, shall we say, that made it so that unless you'd been doing the thing for 10 years, nobody listened to you. So no new ideas could come up. And, and that turned out to be it sounds like it would be so simple, like, oh, just ask the 22-year-olds for a minute. And there was so much resistance to doing that because the people who were older felt like it was a loss of power. And they had been, they felt that they'd been through this meat grinder. They'd put in their time as a person nobody listens to. And now they've earned the right to have their ideas be the ones that get made, the ones that get acted upon. And they do not want to just hand that over to somebody younger than them. And to me, this is something that is really very much in the way of change, both, you know, in this micro level of organizations and the macro level in society is what does it take to get people to give up just a teeny tiny little bit of power? Because it, ultimately, you know, it's about identity and it's about I earned this in their minds, you know. And, and, and if, of course, if you looked at it on paper, you'd say, this is not really giving up power. This is just, you know, the tiniest little bit of symbolic power, perhaps, but that has so much hold over people. I'm so glad that you mentioned the identity piece, because I yes. really do think that it's that <laughs> people have decided that, like, if I am not able to do this thing or I am not revered in a specific way and it's disrupted by your existence, what does that mean for me? And yes. I find it so interesting for this to play out the way that it does in the workplace and also examining how I think it kind of is a reflection of uh, kind of a 
a patriarchal structure in the sense of like the older you are, the more you're revered, the more you know, the reverence and and deference goes to you and everybody else knows nothing and they must bow down and listen to what you have to say. And it does not leave space for new ideas. It does not leave space for possibility. It doesn't leave space for questioning anything. It's simply take this. Don't ask me questions. Don't question me. Exactly. And, you know, there, I, I, there is a thing about experience and there is a thing about seeing how things play out on a macro level. But right now, our world is so driven by technologies that are new and constantly reemerging. I mean, we, it, that it's almost a different landscape. So a lot of times when I go into companies that have been around for a long time, they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we tried that in 1985 and it didn't work. And I'm like, well, it's not 1985. It's a very different day. (laughs) The landscape has changed significantly. And, um, and so, you know, your argument is without merit here, but we still got to get you to do it somehow. So. (laughs) Right. Right. And I think there's this place sometimes of trying to figure out how to, Uh, kind of keep the pieces that works and maybe get rid of some of the preamble or the fluff that maybe doesn't work anymore. And like, I kind of think about it, like um, I heard my, my son who's 10, he said something about an influencer and I'm like, what does this kid know about an influencer? (laughs) And I'm, I'm forgetting like this kid lives on, (laughs) of course he knows what an influencer is, but um, I was like, you know, being that Indy and I had this conversation and we see so many people conflate what an influencer is and isn't. I was just kind of like, can you tell me what you think an influencer is? And my 10 year old is like, an influencer is someone that influences other people. That was it. And I was like, can we please go tell everybody else this, please? (laughs) Because I feel like everybody else is like, you need this many followers. You need a YouTube channel with over a million views on your viral videos. And you have to have this kind of body and be able to sell this kind of product. And he understood the simplicity of somebody that influences someone else. And that's it. And that's where sometimes I think it's so important to get down to the crux of something and kind of let go of the rest. Because sometimes I'm sure that you go into organizations and they have something that's really great, but it's gotten wrapped up in all of this crud that does not actually help and doesn't need to be there. And it doesn't get you to the end game. So can we get rid of this stuff, wash this off, clean it up a little bit, and then we keep what works and nobody has feelings hurt, please. Absolutely. 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 And so there's so much that, that ends up, being sort of, I, I love the way you put it, just kind of grows up around the original idea. And, every, you know, as an organization's growing and, and things, you know, happen a lot faster these days than they maybe did 20, 30 years ago. Um, there's a period of like extreme chaos and then it has to kind of sort itself out into bureaucracy. <laughs> you know, right. we have rules for doing things because in, in, in the beginning, everybody, just the three people who are starting this thing, walk over and say, I don't know, I think we should do X, right? Sound good? Okay, let's do it. And and then and then you got 150 people. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> no, no. And when you get 500 and a thousand, and and so you have to start coming up with ways to create um, some structure, and that can feel really weird to people. And then and that 
So, you know, some people really thrive on the individual level too. Some people really thrive on the chaos of, of, of making things happen um, in a tiny group at the very beginning. And then as soon as there <clears throat> gets to be some bureaucracy, they are disinterested and leave. Right. And so, like you mentioned, like I would be remiss to not ask you, like when people are resistant to the change and, you know, especially when the change is simply growth and evolution and just, you know, better ways of doing it for what it is now. Not that what it was was wrong, but this is just where we are now. And here's some opportunities. What are some of the ways that you found help people to cope with whatever the perceived loss is in this change process and, you know, really getting them on board with the moving forward of it? Great question. So we could talk all day about this, but here's some quick things. So (laughs) (laughs) one thing, you know, I, I talk about allowing for a grieving process to get used to the idea. You know, a lot of times people say, Okay, well, we've discussed, decided that we can't use, and I'm just going to, I like to use this one because it's, it's something everybody can relate to. We're going to not use, um, you know, Slack anymore. We're going to use this other tool. And mm-hmm. it sounds like it should be totally simple to just change over to another tool. And it's actually one of the hardest things you can get people to do because people have habits and they want to use a certain thing. Um, right. So with that, you have to, the, the first thing I always think of is, is give, you're going to have to give it a moment. It's not going to be just like on Monday, we're going to do this. So what I've done uh, that's worked for people is to give them a good heads up that we're going to do this, make sure that they understand why, what we're responding to in the environment that's making us do this. Not just, you know, the new person doesn't like Slack, so we're not going to do it, but like some actual reasons in the, that they can, see happening in the um, environment around them. Well, Slack, and I'm just making this up. I don't know if this is true about Slack or not. Um, (laughs) Slack doesn't have the security we need, or there's too many other people on this and we don't want to have the channels or whatever it is to help them understand why you're doing it. So it doesn't just seem like somebody's whim. That's really important. And uh, then to give them a chance to say goodbye to Slack. So we're going to close the channels one by one and everybody put your last messages up there, you know, to have an actual grieving process, kind of like a funeral for Slack, basically. I really, really, really like that. I'm just already, I'm like, please, 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 please continue. Cause I'm like, Ooh, all of this, because <laughs> what you said is true. The letting go, I, the grieving is important. Please continue. A, a actual letting go. Because otherwise you're, you're asking people to accept a new thing when they're not done with the old thing. And um, yeah. And then, you know, some of the the other things to keep in mind is that some people are going to be really enthusiastic about it and some people are going to hate it and always hate it. And our, our attention tends to get drawn by the people who are going to hate it. We say, Oh, but Steve isn't going to go for this or, um, you know, the, the big grumblers and the people are going to complain about it and you have to not get too attached to them. Because they're in your way. There's going to be also people who love it and are all for it. And those are the people you have to focus on, not the people who are going to grumble, even though your, your attention is definitely going to be pulled in that direction. You know that saying about that if you could, you could give a talk and there's 100 people in the room and 
um, 99 of them are standing up and clapping wildly and one person is standing there with your arms crossed and yes. where does your attention go? Right. 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 So you got to not do that. You got to keep your attention on the people who are standing up and clapping. Right. And first of all, that piece in itself, it's so easy to get caught in, you know, like that one negative person or a comment in the comment section and you miss everything else. And I think it's so important to not only acknowledge that, but you're noticing like some of the pieces of, I guess, human behavior to, in a, in a, you know, in a way of that's kind of what we might be prone to do in the same way that, you know, the other piece you mentioned that really stood out to me was that whole with the kind of actually saying goodbye and letting go of something. It's that letting go of, of something and actually kind of having that, um, like full stop there before you start something else, because it's like, well, how do I fully go into something else because I'm not out of this? And so there's this place of having to get people to not only let go of like that one negative person or whatever that doesn't help, but also letting go of structures or services or systems that don't serve us anymore and being able to start fresh from that. And I find that, you know, within an organization, it's obviously never easy, but I think if there's a diverse organization in any way, shape or form, that's just a whole nother piece of, you know, getting all of these, you know, unique people to get on the same page and do this one task that everyone has to do. Yeah, absolutely. To get, um, and, and remembering that it's not about the people who are opposed to this, even though those are the ones that we tend to focus on. Um, and again, that's kind of a basic principle of positive psychology, which is that the negative tends to attract our attention more than the positive, just across the board. So that when right. you have a, a, if there's something, if there's a potential threat, it will loom really large to you and seem like a really big deal. Whereas the potential um, gains or the the things that are going well, you don't tend to give them attention because they're probably not life threatening. <laughs> Everything's okay. Right. But, you know, this one thing might be be a problem, something to put all my attention there. And that's, again, a cognitive bias that we have. And so if we want to get the full picture of what's going on, we always have to go look for the positive intentionally or else we're not going or else our attention will be drawn always by the negative. Absolutely. And that's where I think it's, you know, if we know what matters to us, then it's easier for us to be like, well, this value matters to me. And so therefore I can see that this supports that. I feel good about that. Let me follow that. And how can I amplify that? How can I do more of that? And I think it shows up. The funny part is like, I think it shows up in our organizations, but it shows up in the way that that organization does everything and the way that we all as individuals do everything. Because even if you just think about um, individually or, or as an organization, how you spend your money, the way that you vote with your dollars is a part of following joy. It's a part of doing things in a way that is like, let's let go of the old and let's do this in a more equitable way. Or yes. let's really figure out what, you know, what works for where we are right now. And, say goodbye to what doesn't work anymore. And knowing that it's not about that it was, you know, it it doesn't mean that we were bad. It just means that it doesn't serve us the way that it needs to anymore. And we want to do things differently. And it's so important to reconnect to that. 
I agree a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And if you don't go and take time to go look for it and discover your values and make these statements, then you will end up getting run by fear and by habit and by tradition. And so it's so important to go consciously seek out these things so that you have something to come back to. Absolutely. 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 So with all of the amazing things that we went through today, because I could have this conversation for hours more because I'm like, there's so much more. I think I might have to bring oh, it back. There's so much If you were to prompt the listeners with one action that you would like them to take after listening uh, in order to create change, what would that one action be? I would say, um, think about who you want to be not in terms of like what position you want to have or, you know, how, how the impact you want to have on others, but from the inside out, you know, what kind of experiences do you want to have? What kind of, um, what do you want the feeling and that you're getting from what you're doing to be? And that that is um, kind of a route that you can come back to so that you can compare to see if you're getting that out of your um activities rather than just working on like the externals. You know what I mean? I love that. Cause I think anytime that we can pause to really connect with how do we want to feel and you yeah. know, what are the experiences that we want to have and like, who do we want to be on a, on a, a larger scale, like, you know, ethics wise, our actions and how we care and how we support and how we help and how we think. I think that that changes the way that, we then show up in all the things that we do. And I think that there's so much power in pausing to really reconsider that for yourself and knowing that you're going to do it periodically. It's not a one and done. I think that that's yes, an amazing fun. thing to do. <laughs> no, you asked the question. Oh, I, I love it. That's good. good. Yeah. That was great. And so I would love for people to know more about you and when your book is out to come and to get that from you and check that out as well. So tell the listeners where they can find you. You can find me at kimperkins.com and um, there's a newsletter you can sign up for there. And there's also, uh, that's probably the best place to find me is is there. You'll see a page there for my book, which is going to be out now in May. They pushed it back a little bit. And I would love to talk to anybody who would like some coaching or talking to their organization. Amazing. Amazing. Go check out Kim, learn more about her and for everything that you do and for helping people to navigate the sometimes messy middle and evolution of change using positive psychology. We appreciate you, Kim. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much. That was amazing. I love that. First of all, I just love the fact that Kim's personality, like there is just so much joy and positivity and fun in this whole conversation and hearing about positive organizational psychology, like this could have easily been a very like downtrodden, heavy conversation that just would have not felt like, you know, one, that's not what we normally do, but it also would have felt like, I don't know that I want to do this. And it's not very positive. And so it's important to remember that the work that she does, it really does need that positivity. It does need that connection to pausing and really finding some of the joy and the fun in things. And I want to remind you that the same is true for your DEI work. 
It does not have to be so heavy. It can be filled with opportunities to find places of joy. It can be an opportunity to learn, to grow, to laugh with others, to explore what is possible and being able to figure out, you know, things like, let's say, exploring financial equity. Learn. It's an opportunity to do something different. Let's not make this feel so heavy. Let's find some fun here. This month in Pause and Play the Community, we are talking about voting with your dollars. And voting with your dollars is something that, hey, we're going to spend money. So how can we make that fun? We don't want talking about voting with your dollars consciously and ethically to feel heavy. We want you to know what it feels like to pay someone like a Kim to come in and talk with your organization and to get them on a a path that is better for them. We want to talk with you about purchasing items that are going to be supportive of your wellness journeys. Like we have a crystal party coming up. And for those of you that don't already know, I love crystals. Crystals are a part of my wellness practice. And that is one way that you can vote with your dollars by supporting businesses and causes that matter to you, by supporting brands and causes that matter to you with your money, with an ethics lens involved. I'm telling you, life, work, gifting, psychology, all of these places can have more fun than what we sometimes think. So in order to learn a little bit more about what we are talking about this month and being a part of the conversation, come on over to pauseontheplay.com forward slash community, join today so that you can be there as well. As always, you know, I love being here, having this conversation with all the amazing guests that we are so fortunate to bring and being able to question things differently, to reconsider what we've told ourselves are normal and to support and not separate. Together, we can continue getting more people to drop the veil as they challenge their thoughts, feelings, and actions. So until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?